found out from Lynn McDowell. She told me how excited I must be that you finally decided to grow up. First of all, I resent that. There's Lynn McDowell. My old friend, Samantha's mum. Samantha's one of the ones that you decided to get in touch with. Behind me back. I see. One of the ones that I don't stay in touch with because I no longer like them. No, she does really. You know what girls are like. I said, I'm sorry. I'm glad I'm not the only one getting it. I thought I was doing something nice. Oh, love, welcome to the Daisy first. We all thought we were doing something nice. <laughs> the talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 239 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that thinks that no matter how pleased you were to see D.S. Swain return this week, and you weren't as pleased as we were to see D.S. Swain return this week. I'm Gavin. And I may be an accessory to murder. How? What? (laughs) Do you even know who you're sleeping next to at night? This is all (laughs) turning into a... Murder! (laughs) To a Ryan Johnson disappointingly written movie. I thought you were going to talk about the... We, neither one of us has seen Poker Face yet, so I I've was really confused. I've heard good things about it. I have heard good things as well. Yes. Because I love Ryan Johnson, and Apart I love... Apart his Star Wars stuff. I love his Star Wars stuff. That's one of the best Star Wars movies out there. That's a very popular opinion. It is among certain circles. Is it? Yeah. Circles I circle in. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, you've killed somebody. And also, somebody. I love Natasha Lyonne. Um... I may be an accessory to murder. I sold a doll. You may be an accessory to murder. Right. Because it hasn't happened yet. Because I just dropped the box off earlier earlier today. What's in the box? What's in the box? I feel like we did this better the first time. What's in the box? This is not the first time we've shouted what's in the box today. No. God. Nor will it be the last. (laughs) I feel like we used that I need closure on the murder thing. <laughs> Yesterday, I sold a hundred-year-old doll for a lot of money. It's it's got some it's got some mileage on it. It's it's mm-hmm. a rare doll. Creepy as fuck. <laughs> and the person who bought it from me, I was delighted. And then the person who bought it from me messaged me and said. Don't, you don't have to worry about wrapping it up too well. Excellent. Because I'm only going to... I'm, I plan on taking the head off of this doll and giving it a new head when it gets here. To be fair, that doll looked like it needed a new head. I loved its head that it had already. It was so expressive. It was one of my favorite dolls. <laughs> yes, it was, it was expressing creepiness. <laughs> That's it was the one. evil Kinenek, wasn't it? That's the one that was sitting in the dining room at the at the dining room table for months mm-hmm. because I couldn't I didn't have the heart to to sell it because I loved it so much mm. and I don't typically feel that way about my dolls. I it's typically not really am, a house, is it? It's just a storage unit for your shit. It's typically a one and done thing, you know. But I I took my time with him because I I um, just I well it was a boy doll. Okay, of course. He was wearing suspenders. Or or braces, if you're so inclined. Mm-hmm. And I am. So I'm just so horrified that I have sent this doll off to his doom. You made money. You'll go over it. 
Ah, I'm so glad I got my confession out. I feel so much better. I feel so much better for it. How was your You're week? looking so much lighter mm, as a yes. result of it. Well, that's because I've <laughs> unbuttoned my shirt a little bit oh, more. Oh, well. So. Wow. It's a bit early in the podcast for that. <laughs> How was your week? It was all right. We broke one million views on YouTube this week. <gasps> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. You'd we think still can't monetize that, no, can we? No. Fuck YouTube. <laughs> Honestly, too many copyright claims for my superb cuts. Which makes us have. Did you put the DS Swain thing on? Oh no, that's you, just a wee thirty second thing. It's not worth it. It, it. They have YouTube Shorts now. Oh, they you do. Can put them but, on YouTube. Yeah, shorts. but it's in portrait, and this is very much widescreen landscape. Right. Yeah. So you can see RoboCop. Right. And the alligator. Right. And Starskin Hutch. Yes. And a clip from uh, Sabotage video by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> All as a homage to D.S. Wayne. To, to the wonder that is D.S. Wayne, wonderfully portrayed by Vicky Myers. Yes. Please feel free to take a look on the Twitter. Yes. It's great. That's good fun. Yes. Uh, it's yes. a lot of fun making You are that. very talented at what you do. Well, see, one of the, the story editors of Coronation Street liked mm-hmm. it and complimented me on it yeah i think if i keep this up somebody's going to offer me a job aren't they that can then obviously turn down why would you turn it down money nobody's going to pay me enough money yeah but if you're doing something you love mm-hmm. wouldn't it be worth selling the house and living cut? in the box yeah absolutely well you don't have to live in a box i feel like this is a conversation to have <laughs> offline no, I'm, I'm. Follow your dreams, Broom. Follow you your dreams. You can achieve your goals. I am living proof. Yes. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that motivational coding news. <laughs> Seems like she just got back. And yet, and yet, Maureen Lipman is taking another break from the show. <laughs> just. She is bringing her one-woman show, Rose, to the West End. Bravo to her. Is she going on a tour with it? I thought she was going on a tour with it, or did I read something wrong? Maybe. I don't know. This is her one-woman show about a, about the Holocaust yep. that she has already performed to sold-out audiences at Hope Mill in Manchester and <clears throat> the Park Theatre in London. London. What the hell, Maureen? What the hell? Just well, see, that's a person who's following her dreams. Mm-hmm. Be more like Maureen Lipman. I'm sure she's made except when you go to lunch. Made more than enough money, yeah, to be able to afford to chase her dreams like this. Well, I suppose, and her kids are all. Grown. How long is she out for? Didn't I? I thought it was like a year. God, that would be too long. Yeah, you're right. It just it does seem like she's just come back and then we've kind of been grateful for her to come back and then right. she's going to go away again does she i wonder what message is she given with us do you think that's that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying it's like well why is she why is she coming back because it doesn't feel it doesn't seem like she enjoys it that she'd rather be doing theater and that's fine mm-hmm. that's fine just be honest with us stop breaking our heart it's just a very well-loved character played by a, a, a well-loved Nash person Trej. yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. Oh well. Oh well. We will look forward to her maybe, return again. Maybe they can get you to to fill her shoes and be like Tyrone's long last Scottish 
cousin or something on the show and move in and kill chinchillas. Are those are the options? Nobody or me. I think they'll go with nobody. And, and who can blame them? And you can bring more shirts to Tyrone. You can have matching MSU Spartans t-shirts. Would be delightful. Are you feeling okay? Yes. Okay. Helen Worth and her fringe took a wee jaunt to Windsor <laughs> Castle to pick up an MBE from Prince William for services to drama. She was so adorable. She's either tiny or he's enormous. <laughs> She's so toty next to him. Mm-hmm. It's so cute in her little black suit with her little black hat. <sighs> she reminded me of my mum. Yes. Quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> Just toty. So toty. Toty wee woman. Toty. Everybody in the Platt family's toty except for except for Nick. They're all short. Mm-hmm. He towers over everybody else in that family. <laughs> Thank God they brought Adam in to be another tall person in that family. It does mean that they have to move the cameras every now and again to make sure that they get the top of his head. Although this week, maybe they should have just left the camera where it was, if you know what I mean. Are you man bun shaming again? I am indeed. Mm. That was like years ago, wasn't it? Is that still a thing? I think it's still a thing. Anyway, we, we shall mock that later. Okay. And finally, it was just weird that he didn't have it earlier in the week and then all of a sudden he had it. Exactly. Okay. And finally, you may have noticed Corey wasn't on tonight. The day, that's, that's because... That's record on Friday. Right, yes. That's because... I wish you had told me. We could have... Well, we couldn't have done it last we night because have, I was... And that's why I didn't tell you. ...gone until 9.30 at night because of stupid bowling and stupid guitar lessons. Right. I, because I love my stupid children. Chase your dreams, kids. <laughs> As the damned footy once again got in the way of our stories. How dare it? Manchester City versus <coughs> Arsenal. <coughs> I believe Man City won. Oh. I don't care. Me neither. It was on Thursday instead. Coronation Street was. So, if you didn't watch on Thursday, you missed it! No, I'm just kidding. You can watch it on the ITV player or Ritbox or whatever it's called. Really? Are you feeling okay? (laughs) And that's Corey News. Splendid. And now let's podcast for coffee. (sighs) Thanks to Coastal News Podcast. (gasps) Coastal News Podcast, you say? Sai and Sophie, thank you so much for our coffees this week. They're like, hi guys, as you know, we love your show and race to catch it after a week on the cobbles. Have a coffee on us from Science Sophie. Thank you so Thanks, much guys. to them. And as, we love them. As threatened, yeah, that's my yeah. that's my Saturday listening, which means it's... Those are our pals. Which means it's everyone's Saturday listening when we're driving about. <laughs> You're welcome. And as I'd threatened last mm-hmm. week, you know, I've got this hospital bag that's kind of full, full of, books. of books it's now one book lighter Ooh. as i send a copy of the scottish book of the dead over the seas to <laughs> to merry old england and how much did that put you back to sit on someone's bookshelf and gather dust uh 20 bucks i think did did you did you pay that already did you ship it yeah it's gone okay next time let me know because i can get it shipped cheaper yeah, okay. good you to know because you my my back channels that that murder dolls. It's handy. It's it handy, handy to know someone who murders dolls. Yes. Yeah, so we're now 
down to six of these books left. So if you want to buy us a coffee as a thank you, I'm prepared to send a book. To you? To anywhere in the world. That's my commitment. But anyway, the talk of the sheet is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee, pick up a free book by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street, and we'll be very appreciative, just like we were, for Coastal News Podcast with Sai and Sophie. Sai and Sophie! If you're a fan of Home and Away, or if you're like me who watched it when you were a kid. Right. It's always good fun just to, on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Listen to Coastal News Podcast. Yeah. Highly recommended. They're good. I've never watched Home and Away. And I enjoy them. There you go. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the inspirational podcasts. Was somebody listening to us last year? <laughs> a few. That's right, this was Daisy's questioning of Jenny's decision to pursue a relationship with Leo. Someone's been ODing on the inspirational podcasts, she said. That was definitely us. I was Gavin, and you thought all around the Milky Way, Age of Ultron, deserved an Oscar. I think that was the Wait. name of a game that Joseph was given in the show. All around the Milky Way, which I think we were taking the piss out of because it sounded like such a shit game. Right, yes. It was negative two that morning and Benny was refusing to wear a coat. <laughs> He'd gone to school that day in shorts. Yeah. Today he wore a, like a lightweight jacket and a coat. Yeah. He's become sensible in his old age. <laughs> what happens when you turn 16? I was a grown man who could make up my own mind when you let me. <laughs> Jenny frets about the age difference between her and Sinkhole Leo and has plans to call the whole thing off until she learns that he's been rushed to hospital after a rugby injury. Tim is cornered in hospital by people he's kept in the dark about his illness, while Sally's vandalism of a vending machine highlights some unwanted publicity in the Weather Gazette. This was her getting uh, caught for... Peeing? For peeing outside, in the car. In the, in the car. In Maybe, the park. I don't know if we saw it in the car. It was in the bush on Coronation Street. Yeah, in the park. In the, in the, it wasn't in, in Victoria Gardens, garden, yeah. yeah. Bernie and Dev do the real life equivalent of updating their relationship status, but Evelyn becomes suspicious when she hears Bernie's claims of a pay rise and then learns of the presence of crisp wrappers in Fizzy's attic. Lydia is ready to dump Daniel after a number of red flags start waving, but finds that he has some supporters in unexpected places. With Craig's forensic report due any minute, Emma and Faye fret that their involvement in Ted's death will soon be uncovered by Weatherfield's very own Sherlock Holmes. They needn't worry. Finn's Veruca requires extended medical care. Tim's mum disapproves of party horns. And Joseph's video game is rubbish. Our moment of the week was Tim's wee face when Sally walked in to see him at hospital. And a boring moment of the week was that Veruca of Finn's. And that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street. This time, last year. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? I suppose we, we've we got to at this point. It's more of a habit than anything else now, isn't it? Yes. I actually really enjoyed it this week. It was, it was, it was on the, on the whole better than last week. It was good enough so that I felt compelled to defend it when some people who say that it's not as good as it 
was in the 70s mm-hmm. and racists were complaining about it. Uh-huh. Well, we always uh, defend it when racists complain about no, it. We because just tend to just ignore that. But, that's, our, that's our job. But it was, uh, yeah, I, I laughed quite a bit at this this week. Well, I Delirium mean, or or whatever, I'm not sure. There's there's a very particular thing which is just laughable and, and reminded me of something else laughable that was floating once upon a time on the show. <laughs> I did think of that. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Our first storyline of the evening is Tim's mum about the house. She better not take any breaks to the West End. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if anyone's keeping her slippers warm. I'd be very disappointed if we couldn't play that jingle anymore. <laughs> Somebody else's mum would just have to be about in the house. Mm. Daisies. On no. Monday, fresh from killing his second victim, Stephen is in Nina's rolls having a cuppa, leaving messages with Audrey to return the car so he can borrow it. Nick comes <sighs> in to announce that she got a flat tyre on the way home, but luckily Kev was the hero. Everyone's blaming the weight in the roof box for the loss of tire pressure. And yet See that already is funny. And yet nobody nobody's curious about what if if I felt the weight of something on top of my car was responsible for blowing a tire, I would take that thing off the car and open it and say, What the hell is in here? Mm-hmm. And why does it smell so bad? <laughs> Why is there blood oozing out of this? Right, yeah. Why can there, I hear a why can I hear an old man groaning inside it? There's certain aspects of the biology of a corpse that I don't I don't know if biology is the right word for something that's dead, but never mind. Composition? About the physiology of a corpse. No, you just don't want to go with my suggestion. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that that seems to be overlooked in this whole thing. Yeah, because that's the only thing that's been overlooked in this whole thing. Well, yes. This is funny. It's it's it was funny watching it because last night when I finally got home at nine thirty at night, you know what I did? I you, sat I sat down on the couch and I watched Game Night, one of our favorite movies. Oh, I watched that recently. Yes, you did. It's still good. It's still it's good. Still good. You know, and there's that scene where Jason Bateman is sitting at the computer and the blood is oh. dripping off out on, of his arm onto, the dog. onto, onto uh, Jesse Plevin's dog mm-hmm. and making a white dog pink. red and pink mm-hmm. and bloody and stuff while the dog is licking up the blood. That's what dogs do. And I'm just like, that's a much more realistic <laughs> view of a wound on a body. I don't know. The idea of Audrey driving through the country with, with, a, dead with man. a dead man on her roof. It's, the, our imaginations do a lot of the heavy lifting here, but it's still its still pretty funny. So later, Stephen goes to work, taking care to wander ominously around the spot where he killed Teddy. Then Audrey, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to complain about the roof box and to hand over the keys of the car. It seems that the roof box was a nightmare going round corners. Again. Again. Funny. On the street, Sarah tackled Stephen, suddenly concerned that the factory CCTV was on yesterday, catching her and Michael in there printing those labels. 
She suggests that he wipes it, giving him instructions on how to do so. So frantic, he goes back to the office, finds the dodgy footage, watches himself kill Teddy again, and deletes a lot just before Carla comes in. Oi, Judy Mitchell, she shouts. You've been rumbled. <laughs> Damn, that's just... That's a laugh that every scene. That is funny. That is funny. I like Carla. She's More found a label. Carla. She's found a label for Michael and Sarah's business, which suggests that they've been using the factory. Stephen pleads ignorance as Carla discovers that yesterday's CCTV has miraculously been deleted, so mm. she stomps off so she can shout at Sarah for a bit. Finally, Stephen gets to Audrey's car, but it's got wooden doors, a wooden engine, a wooden roof box with Teddy's body in it, <laughs> and it wouldn't go. That was terrible. I'm very disappointed in you. I told a joke in a meeting today. We were talking about the price of eggs because we're a financial company and I work in HR. So, of course, we're talking about the price of eggs. Everybody's talking about the price of eggs these Somebody days. was saying uh, that they were thinking about buying a hen. Right. To save money on eggs. As one does. And I said, you should buy a chick because I hear that they're going cheap. <laughs> And I apologised ferociously <laughs> after that. People, people laughed. Pe- people also seem to forget that chickens need a house and food and an enclosure. Oh, <laughs> Helen literal broom sitting across from me. Which is far more expensive than the eggs. Anyway, he slams the steering wheel as PC Tinker appears. Next, David and Michael show up to give their opinion on the matter, Stephen begging for a push start as he has an important meeting to get to. David announces that he could be doing with borrowing the car so he can get some wood chippings in the box. They give Stephen a push, but the car is out of petrol, so David nabs the keys, gives Stephen his keys to go to his meeting, and then fucks off. This leaves Stephen just sitting on the wall, laughing maniacally. Stephen is resigned to David finding Teddy's body when he's buying his wood chippings, so he sits in the community garden and slowly gets pushed. Billy comes along to talk about Leo and Teddy and vaguely tries to convert Stephen before leaving him to it. While, while kind of denying the existence of hell, as a Christian archbishop is wont to do. Archdeacon. Whatever. Archdeacons are allowed to. Whatever. Still, denying the existence of hell is kind of... Well, what did he say? He said that it's different things for different people, he said. Hell is different things for different people. Mm -hmm. Because hell is other people. (laughs) Hell is this podcast tonight, I'm telling you. (laughs) In Nina's roles, Sarah and... (laughs) In Nina's roles, Sarah and Michael are discussing biodegradable packaging when Carla comes in to shout at them about using factory facilities, flapping the label that she found in their faces. Expensive. We never find out where she found that label from, though, did do it we? It was like on the floor somewhere. Well, presumably. That's what she says. She claims that she's onto them and they deny all knowledge. Next, Jenny joins Stephen in the community garden and turns up her nose at his three ninety nine bottle of wine and drags him back to the rovers. Once there, he spots that he has six missed calls from David and dingies another one from Sarah. On the street, Sarah's leaving a message filling him in on her run-in with Carla. But not like that. And she bumps into Jenny, who's bought a lovely, nice, big bag of wine for Stephen to get fucked on. 
She tells Sarah how down in the dumps Stephen seemed, so the two of them go back to the rovers as Sarah gets a call from David. So Sarah goes to see Stephen and there's a hilarious scene where there are so many crossed wires about Carla, the label, David, the roof box, a car manual and an orange light that had come on. And a dead corpse. (laughs) Eventually, Sarah gives Stephen Ordy's key back. Apparently the garden centre was out of wood chippings after all. Well, it was Freshco's. I thought it was a garden center he went to. No, Freshco's had a deal on wood chippings and it had a deal on something else the week before. And, and I guess all of a sudden David is really into bargains. So Freshco's now, I guess, is like, is more like a, a mire than, It's got you a know. little garden center. Some right. supermarkets are like that. Yeah. Like mire, like, like you like just Meyer, said. Yeah. Yes. I love that little scene. I love the confusion of it. The kind of farcical misunderstandings, and then at the end, Sarah just signed off. Oh, they were sold out. After all that, right? After a minute worth of explanation and exposition, right. that didn't matter because they were all sold out anyway. Yeah, does it kind of feel like a little bit of that goes a long way? I, I don't know. I, I like I like how they're kind of doubled down on this this week and in this episode particularly because yeah. the whole this this whole part of the storyline was just one thing going wrong after the other after the other after the other and we haven't got to the best bit yet right yeah after he murdered a guy yeah but it was just teddy so who cares <gasps> later in the rovers sarah has to field accusations from sean and sally about the rogue label but she continues to deny all knowledge sean says stephen was looking well guilty and meanwhile in the dark stephen has driven audrey's car with its well-traveled corpse on the roof to the canal where after a fashion he drags the roof box down sticks a heavy sewing machine in with Teddy's feet and pushes it into the canal, where, of course, it floats. And it floats rather magnificently as it slowly drifts away. (laughs) Panicking again. Almost like a gun. (laughs) Stephen starts throwing rocks at it, because that'll help. Right. But apparently it did. The roof box slowly submerges, and as it disappears, for now at least, a few bubbles of air escape as a pedestrian wanders by with his dog and wishes Stephen a good evening. Right. Yup, says Stephen. Yeah, that canal's not very deep. No. Why didn't he just take the body to where he disposed the sinkhole Leo? Well, maybe that is where he disposed of sinkhole Leo. <laughs> no, the, the sight of that roof box floating away. Because of course it's going to float. It's mostly air that's in it. And it's mostly a corpse that is presumably now a little bit bloated. And very heavy. Heavier than it was in, in life. Oh, but things bloat, they float to the top. Yeah, it hasn't reached that stage yet. But it's in a, in a very uh, floatable roof box. That is true. And yet somehow throwing rocks at it makes it sink. Yeah, it's like the box thought about it. I said, sure. If you insist, I will think. Stephen is very calm the day after he disposed of a corpse. He has breakfast with Sarah and it's pleasant when Ronnie and Dee Dee sing the praises of the deal that they've just struck. Everything's coming up, Stephen. So why is he still in town? God only knows. And and now showing absolutely no signs of leaving. Right, because he's got this job at the factory now. That was... He's killed two people. I know. He's desperate to get out of Dodge. One of them in that factory. And he didn't clean up very well. Of course, for some reason, even though he bludgeoned a man to death, there's no blood. No. There's no blood on that carpet. No. He bludgeoned a man to death and there's no blood. 
In depth, Stephen runs into Tim's mum and Tim. Tim makes a fuss about the contents of the roof box again, wondering if there was a dead body in there. It was that heavy. Yuck, yuck. Whop, whop, whop. Stephen tells Tim's mum that he's been taking her for granted, so asks her for dinner, explaining that her first repayment for the loan that she gave him should be landing with her pretty soon. So Stephen goes into the rovers and for some reason explains oh. that he's heard from Teddy, who has found Leo. They've sorted everything out and they won't be coming back and neither of them want to hear from Jenny ever again and do you fancy going out with me sometime? Jenny gives him a gentle knockback. Too soon, Stephen. Too soon. Too soon. That is, that again, I don't know what... It's, he, a, it's a needless he, lies. Jenny's not asking how many questions about no. this. And why would, why would Teddy go to Stephen? Right. I just the, the way Jenny just kind of accepts it. Oh, she accepts anything now. It's so weird. She's accepted all his falling about asking after Teddy for the past month, so now it's not true. going to make any difference. No. Back at the factory, Carla's punishing Stephen by making him work with Kirk to pack up the big cheeseman order. Stephen is furious about this. It's not a great week for Kirk this week, is it? Poor Kirk. But he is cock a hoop at the assistance. Then Dick Haversham. An old friend from Milan comes into the office and catches up with Stephen. Stephen insisting that he's working on consultancy stuff in the factory. Carla comes along and quickly disabuses Dick of this, saying Stephen is junior management, seconded into packaging, and this makes Stephen even more livid. Right, and it looks like Dick Haversham is also wearing one of Imran's old suits. <laughs> he's been shopping in the charity shop. Later in the Rovers, did we ever establish if that really did happen? <laughs> if it really was Imran's suit No we never did I don't think we did Later in the rovers Tim's mum tells Stephen that the payment came through And the sale of her house is now complete So she's got cash falling out of her ass right now Right Up her ass Out of her, her ass, ass out of, Down her ass Are you feeling okay <laughs> Why do you keep asking me that <laughs> On Thursday Stephen is late for work Carla doesn't care. She's sacking him for lying to that guy yesterday about being a consultant. Desperate for the work. He comes clean about Gabrielle and he's lied to the bloke yesterday. It was just a face-saving thing. It was Is just that really sp- coming clean when it's just another lie? <laughs> uh, I, he comes clean with another lie? Yeah, I don't think That's he not comes really clean. clean. If anything, he's getting dirtier. Right, yeah. He doubles down on a lie he's already told somebody else. There we go. That's a better way of expressing that. Simultaneously, there's a sudden resource shortage with the Knicker people. Fizz is off burying a chinchilla in another storyline, and Sally is sick. That was when it was Sean, right? When Sean says to everybody else, apparently there's been a death in the family, mm. everybody kind of goes, ah, and then goes back to their work. Nobody asks who died. No, nobody really cares. And nobody seems to care. It could have been Ruby. Oh, pure Ruby. And nobody cares. Why Ruby? Because she's the only she's the only likable character uh, in that family. Because of the kidney thing, right? Right. And also because she's the only likable character in that family because she gets neglected by everyone else. Except for except of course for Cerberus. Stephen rolls up his sleeves. He says he never asks anyone to do a job that he can't do himself. So Carla gives him a temporary reprieve and lets him get to work on the sewing machines. So during the push to get this cheesy order done, Stephen rallies the troops and keeps the spirits up by telling tales of Tim Hortons, hockey, and how Michigan gave away Toledo to Ohio. Job well done. 
or at least completed. We did not give away Toledo it, to Ohio. Yes, I know. We, we got the UP from that I deal. I know. I know about the Michigan-Ohio War. I know. War. So do Stop I. Stop lying to people in the UK about, about our proud state. But it's Stephen that's getting it wrong by... So, really, Helen. Michigan deserves better. If Michigan gets a podcast it deserves. <laughs> Job well done, or at least completed. He takes the knicker people to the pub and buys the first round... Carla is so impressed, she lets him keep his job. Then after his knockback from Jenny, he manages to make her jealous by striking up his relationship with Tim's mum once again. And that's as far as we get with that this week. What whoa. This was funny. I'm sorry. It, no, it's, it's, no. It's, it just it made me laugh. It's funny, but it it's also like, what does the show want from us here? You know? Because sometimes it's like, death horror awaits. On Coronation Street this week, and then and then we get treated to a floating box with a corpse in it. Right. That used to be used to be on top of a car being driven around the North Forty by a geriatric lady who can barely see. This to me is what people are looking for, or should be looking for, when they say it's not as funny as it used to be. It's not as everyday people as it used to be i don't think it was this is still not everyday. i don't people. think it was ev ever really everyday people there was always or at least for the past 20 years there's been extraordinary things happening to this little close-knit community right but when people are looking for for some laughs it's like well there they are don't look at it saying it's ridiculous i don't i don't know people are looking at it with a very discernible eye or that's not the right word but they're looking at, at it very particularly and choosing to see it as being ridiculous but not choosing to see it as comedy. And I think it's supposed to be comedy. And if I see that as comedy, uh -huh. it's making me laugh. It, it's yeah. succeeding in what it's aiming to do. But if you're not looking for it to be right. funny, then then it is going to be ridiculous. Like, oh, fuck's sake, of course the box is going to be floating. But no, look at it. Look at the situation. Look how flustered he's been. Right. All day, like Mr. Bean running yeah. about trying to get rid of this thing. Right. Like a piece of shit that's stuck to his shoe and he just <laughs> can't get rid of it. And I think there is comedy in there and I think that's what they've been trying to tap. And I think they've been tapping it successfully. You seem to have a problem with it being on I, the on, in the background he's murdered someone. Right. Yeah. I mean, there is another funny storyline this week that I found really funny mm -hmm. and that I really enjoyed. Right. I think there's a couple, arguably. That did not involve people dying. Right. I kind of feel like I kind of feel like I prefer those types of funny stories as a balance to the drama of murder as opposed to making murder funny. And I'm saying this as a person who thoroughly enjoys shows like Barry. That's all Barry is, you know, it's, it's, it's not finding a balance because it's all that all the time, mostly. Um, I just, let's be honest, I watch for Henry Winkler because I love the Fonz, but sure. because everyone loves the Fonz, right? Right? Sure. sure. Okay. So I don't know. I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> no, of course was not to love he's a delightful old man he was so cute at the golden globes um 
and I follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow on the Twitter. Look at me, like trying to up Henry Winkler's career. I don't know. It's I found it funny. I I found it on the whole much more enjoyable because they're leaning into the ridiculousness instead as opposed to the floating gun, which was ridiculous and hilarious, but was supposed to be dramatic. Yeah, that's not meant to be funny. Right. And, and that's and, where it does fail. Right. Yeah. When it's unintentionally funny. This I kind of joked about it being a Canadian psycho. Yes, you did. And, and people enjoyed that. And and I think, like American Psycho, the book American Psycho is parts of it anyway, satirical, right. parts of it comedy, parts of it arguably horribly misogynistic. Right, yes. It, and unfortunately, the movie was not nearly as satirical as, and funny I, as the book was. No. He's got a new book out. Yes, I know. I need to find my, my Kindle. Because I always read the new British Nellis, even though I don't really like him anymore. No, I still he's have a to dick. Yeah. Oh, well, talking to that. <laughs> but like, at least you admit it, so it's fine. Yeah, the, the worst thing I did was listen to his podcast. Yeah, because he's a dick. <laughs> right. Talking of which, our next storyline. Whereas Chuck Palahunnik is actually not a dick. It's just his characters who are dicks. There we go. Yeah. Do they even want another out? No. Oh. Our next storyline tonight is Thank God for Daniel. <laughs> On Monday. In the Rovers, Glenda's trying to help Daniel. <laughs> it's helped Daisy. Let's <laughs> try to help Daisy figure out who this mysterious Justin is. Daisy gets a call from an unknown number, so she chooses to ignore it just as Jenny comes in with more fucking flowers. Later in Nina's roles with Daniel, she admits that she has her number on her social media stuff, so he gets all arsy with her about that, despite him not realising that I someone was I thought she didn't have her number on her social media stuff. No, it is. He reckons that the owner of the number and the sender of the flowers is the same person, and probably a complete stranger. Back at the Rovers, Daisy anxiously checks the door every time someone comes in with a... And then... <clears throat> you know... Back at the Rovers, Daisy anxiously checks the door every time it opens when a familiar, creepy Scottish bloke comes in. He's the guy that she met at the cancer clinic appointment a few weeks ago, and he's the one who's been sending the flowers, and he's wearing a cagoule. Remember, remember when that happened and you said, this is really weird that this happened, and then nothing became of it. Yeah. I wonder why they did this. Here's why they did it. Here's why they did it. And he thinks that she should dump Daniel to be with him. Under the impression there was a connection between them. She says that they exchanged pleasantries, nothing more. He denies being her mystery caller, though. Then Glenda grabs him by the collar and frog marches him to the door and tells him to fuck off. Right, because he says, where would I have gotten your number from? It's not on your social media. Her number's not on her social media. It is. Daniel is in later as he discusses all the events of the day. If he isn't her mysterious caller, then who is? Daisy decides to call it, and as she does, in walks her mum answering her ringing phone mm -hmm. and there's clearly no love lost between daisy and her mum no she found that daisy's getting married from one of her friend's mums so this makes all of this daniel's fault yes in comes jenny and there's no love lost between her and daisy's mum either no daisy seems to be annoyed that her mum doesn't have her as a named contact in her phone as if that would make a difference to daisy's phone like if daisy's mum had daisy's number in her phone when she phoned Daisy, it would show as Daisy's mum, and not an unknown number. No, because because her mother her mother was dinging it 
when she was trying to call her back. Oh, was that because she doesn't okay. she didn't have it in as that was Daisy. Back at number one, Daisy's arms are still folded. Her mum has been dossing on a boat in Amsterdam for years and only been in touch twice a year. But she's here now and she's dying for Daisy's wedding in four months. What are you going to be doing for four months then? God only knows. On Wednesday, Daisy's already sick of the sight Working of her mum. at the knicker factory. <laughs> Probably. Jenny gives her the benefit of the doubt, given that uh, she's there to see her. Apparently, a box of chocolates were delivered that Jenny thinks came from Daisy's mum, and Daisy is in- inclined to agree, despite everything that's been happening this past week. And next we see creepy Justin hanging around outside number one, keen to know that Daisy got her chocolates okay. They were an apology for all the flowers that he's been sending her. Yikes. Back in the rovers, Daisy's freaked the fuck out now that the creep knows where she lives. Her mum, Christina, I think her name is. Yeah, of this, course it's Christina. Thinks, thinks it's harmless and has eaten all the chalkies. Yeah, of course she would. Daisy tells her mum that she doesn't want to reconnect with her and she doesn't want her at her fucking wedding in four months' time. On Thursday, oh, here we go. On Thursday, Daisy's mum is ready to leave and Daisy couldn't care less, but for some reason... Daniel has taken the mum's side in all this and promises Daisy's mum that he'll have a word with her daughter to sort things out between the two of them. Right, yeah. He's like, because she tries, the the mum, Christina, gives like, gives Daniel a box with a necklace in it from Daisy's grandmother. Who cares? And says, could you give this to her? And I'm just really sorry didn't work out and of course daniel just falls head over heels for this and is like no i'm going to be the hero of this story because if there's one thing i like being it's a white knight Mm -hmm. fuck that guy so he contrives a meeting between daisy and her mom at the bistro she's furious at him but he says that he did it because he loves her so daisy has to endure a lunch with her mom that she never wanted yeah and he fucks off yeah i'll leave the two of you to it then my work here is done. In being he a complete and utter asshole. During an icy meal, Christina explains that the reason why she was such a lousy mum for all those years was that she never wanted to be a mum in the first place. And she hated being a mum. But she's somewhat interested in being one now. And somehow, this seems to be enough to melt Daisy's cold heart on the matter. They go home to catch Daniel wanking at internet porn on his laptop. Do you notice, every time somebody walks in on Daniel... He closes his laptop down. (laughs) Dirty, dirty boy. Daisy is forced to thank Daniel for contributing to improved relations here, but she still disapproves of his methods. After the wedding, her mum can still fuck off. Daniel goes to make a cuppa, leaving Daisy to go through her socials, and she begins to notice a lot of comments and likes from the This Charming Man avatar thing. So she blocks him. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. So Daniel... Armed with 24 hours worth of knowledge about the history of Daisy and her mother, decides that he knows enough about this to say that Daisy not wanting to have a relationship with her mother is wrong Mm -hmm. and he needs to fix it. Right. What a dick. Why do women like him? Why do women like Stephen? Because Daisy's mum, when Stephen walks in, to the rovers Oof. starts flirting with him and right. and seems to want to get in why are women attracted to that what is going on here do they not see that women love a murderer that is the least attractive canadian man i've ever seen in my life <laughs> 
It's like it's like Carla says. It's like, why are you complaining that I called you Keanu Reeves and Ryan Reynolds? These you should be feel complimented by this. Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen is hot. There, I said it. I said it. Are you sure as, you're okay? As long as he keeps his mouth shut, he's hot. Just don't tell that man a joke. Because then he laughs and it's all over. But he's adorable Oof. to look at. Send help. And he makes nice pottery. I don't know I don't know what the what the show's doing here with us. Because it is it's not even acknowledged and, and Daisy while being furious is just so easily swayed by it that this really is a kind of just overriding her her wishes and her wants and the Left, fact right, that, that she knows her mum much better than he does yeah he knows nothing about this situation right well but he knows least... enough to be able to say no you're wrong i'm going to fix this yeah by forcing you to spend time with her i don't know why she didn't just walk out she should have she should have exactly when she what said she done. when she said well the two of you right enjoy your dinner and walked out. I'm out of here. She should have just walked out. And at least she's honest with him. She's like, you know, she said this thing and it was horrible, but it actually makes me feel better because at least she was honest about it mm. for the first time ever. But she's still an unlikable person that I don't want in my life. Right. You know? And he does not seem to respect that. No. He's such a dick. He, he just... Gets off so much on being this whole white knight <gasps> thing. It's absolutely ridiculous. Is that because every other man in his his family is horrible? Although I guess Peter's not horrible anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. In a, in, a, in a world full of Barlows, be a Peter. <laughs> um, a Peter now, not a Peter then. Right. <laughs> it's it's completely in keeping with his character. Yeah, absolutely. But it just makes the whole relationship with Daisy even even more It makes crazy. it so infuriating because it's so against her character to accept this sort of thing. It's like weakening, you know, the bold brassiness of Daisy mm -hmm. by continuing to put her with Daniel, who is just such a wet sponge. Such a wet sponge, but, but a... a a hand strong enough to push her down. Right. Yeah. It's the oh. heaviness of the wet sponge. Yeah. It, it, I wonder if that would float. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad that we got the This Charming Man thing done because that's right. been lingering about for a little while. Yeah. Do you think that that is this Justin character, though? I mean, we've we've had the the old switcheroo where I feel like we haven't seen the last of this Justin character. We haven't. No, I don't think so. I'm wondering if at some point in the future Daisy's getting kidnapped because <laughs> this man is crazy. She has said to his face, mm -hmm. "Look, I'm sorry about your mom, but this isn't happening," and yet he keeps showing up. So there's something. There's something. Not wired correctly in that man's brain. I was going to try and make a case for Daisy dumping Daniel for this guy. Yeah, but he doesn't do your right. He didn't do yours right. He put an apostrophe in it. <sighs> Can't be doing that. Okay, moving on to our next storyline, which is Everybody Hates Kirk. 
On Monday, in the factory, Fizz is complaining to Sally about uh, Tyrone's lack of foreplay in the boudoir. So Sally goes through her extensive experience of roleplay and dress-up and offers Fizz a rummage through her dress-up box. It's all been laundered, it's fine. And Fizz is kind of... Oh, I don't think this is appropriate. I don't think we should be talking about it, but still kind of gets more information out of her on it. So Fizz goes home and asks if Tyrone would be interested in dressing up as a pilot. And he knows immediately that she's been speaking to Sally. Right, that was funny. They're interrupted by Evelyn, who knows that she's walked into the middle of something. And that was pretty funny as well. Yes. And later, Evelyn berates Tyrone, warning him not to blow up with Fizz again and to keep his eyes away from any maps of Eastern Europe. On Wednesday, Fizz is packing to go visit her mum for an overnight. Meanwhile, Tyrone has plans for a night out with some mates, so Evelyn has the house to herself, she discovers. Later, Evelyn sees Tyrone servicing the car for women who sold him the chinchilla. Yes, but not like that. The two... <laughs> the, the, the densest service, fur in the animal kingdom. The servicing of the woman, okay, not, not the sell selling the of the chinchilla. If you know what I mean. Yeah, like a merkin. Yeah, she sold me the chinchilla, if you, you know, know what, what I mean. mean. The two are friendly, and Evelyn clearly thinks that something's going on between them, and she accuses Tyrone of flirting. She's seen this the all before. The chinchilla woman did seem to want to get into Tyrone's She liked to look at Tyrone. He pleads his innocence, though. So Evelyn goes to enlist the services of Roy, telling him that Tyrone is playing away from home, and they both see Tyrone all dressed up, looking pretty smart, it has to be said, talking on his phone about meeting someone at the rape hotel. So fire up the woody, shouts Evelyn. But not like that. And they give chase. In the rape hotel, Tyrone is doing his best Jack Duckworth impression as he announces his arrival on the phone to a secret party as Evelyn and Roy, who are in their tan raincoats and couldn't, couldn't look more out of place in this hotel if they right. tried. And Roy's drinking a mocktail that he claims is too sweet. Standing out like sore thumbs. This reminds me of when I was in Sydney. And uh, we were staying in this, I think it was a Marriott hotel, but it was mm-hmm. a fancy Marriott hotel. Right. It was a, like a Marriott Bavoy. Maybe even one of those things, if they had them in the early 90s. Who knows? And it's in the middle of Sydney, I think King's Cross-ish area. Mm-hmm. And me and my mum and my Aunt Cathy. You and your mullet. Were sitting in the foyer criticising all the dresses of the... And the, the tuxedos of these men and women who are obviously going to some cocktail party or some fancy dance. I'm wearing a, a faded LA Raiders t-shirt and shorts and a mullet. My mum's wearing a cagoule. My Aunt Cathy's probably wearing another cagoule. That was quite funny. We, we had no business being there. I I can see it. Right. I can see it as if it, it's happening right in front of me. <laughs> right. Then they see Tyrone meet up with a blonde woman. Tyrone is putting on his best Jim McDonald impression now as he talks to the woman. And as Roy and Evelyn pounce, we see that the blonde woman is actually Fizz in the wig. <laughs> Probably Sally's wig. Oh, it's Fizz, says Roy. <laughs> They've been indulging in some role play. Fizz is a leisure wear entrepreneur and Ty is an Irish horse trainer. Now, Here for the he Grand was, National. He, he owns this... He owns a stud farm. He's Lance and she's Penelope. Roy is very uncomfortable <laughs> yes, about he this. Is. It's so cute. <laughs> and drags Evelyn away. So back at Nina's Rolls, Evelyn chats with Roy about the youth of the day and their kinky stuff, and she reminisces about the time that she didn't give Roy a blowjob in the woody that time. 
Roy buttons up his jacket. Meanwhile, in the hotel, Fizz and Tyrone decide that role play isn't for them and go to get. Uh, and they go up to the hotel, go, go to up the room. to the room and have sex anyway. Yes. <laughs> Which is fine. I really liked uh, the little chat between Evelyn and Roy mm-hmm. and the cafe afterwards. Because it seemed like we were going. I was finally going to get my wish. Right. That they but were going to hook up. Roy nixed that. Well, it seems like Roy is nixing any kinky stuff with Evelyn. That's that's because she's like, because she kind of implies, well, maybe the kids have, maybe the kids have the right idea, and that's when he zips his jacket up a little bit more. Yeah, she says that because um, he's showing too much skin. <laughs> she says that maybe she's been missing out, right, on all this kind of stuff, right. But now with the news that she's leaving for well, a year, like, well. I think we can we can write that one off for a while. Oh, damn it! The two of them are so good together. They as well. are. They are. I would I would watch a show that was just the two of them, and occasionally Nina. And with the the precinct thing happening, and there was mention of the charity shop again. Yes. You know the the chance of getting the two of them in the charity shop would have been. I don't know. I think that's, that's pretty gold. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Yeah. On Thursday, Fizz and Tyrone are back from their sordid night at the Rape Hotel to find that Hope has drawn up a list of stuff that Scylla's going to need. It's going to cost about 100 quid. Tyrone refuses to pay for it and tells Hope to get a job. That chinchilla is her responsibility. <sighs> and later at the garage... Which is exactly what we said to Stelly when she asked for a $900 guitar. Did we? Yes. Oh. Well, I did. You weren't there. Okay. But you, you would have said it in spirit. Get a job, you bum. That's what we say to our children. Later <laughs> at the garage, Tyrone is busy having a cuppa and blethering if it's when Kirk comes along looking for someone to babysit Peanut for him and Beth while they go on holiday. Tyrone and Fizz can't be arsed and suggest that he speaks with Hope. So there's this wee scene where Fizz announces, Hope, Uncle Kirk's here to see you. And Hope just looks so pissed off that she's got to speak to Kirk. It was hilarious. It was. Anyway, after some haggling, uh, where everyone in the house basically tells Kirk to his face that he's a fucking imbecile, a deal is struck where Hope will babysit his stupid fucking dog for a tenner, with tonight being a dummy run or something. Peanut is not happy to be introduced to Scylla the Chinchilla. And later, Hope and Ruby seem to be in the house alone and are horrified to discover that Scylla's cage is open and she's missing, and when Hope finds her, she seems to be dead behind the chair in the living room. Yes. Tyrone arrives and is about to give Scylla the kiss of life when Evelyn comes in and her horrified scream at the scene stops him in his tracks. Scylla is dead. She's an ex-chinchilla. She has shuffled off this mortal coil. Fucking Peanut, says Hope. Peanut did nothing. I think they would know all about it if Peanut had done something because that thing would have been torn to shreds. Right, and they would have heard squealing. But Evelyn's point was maybe the dog just terrified the chinchilla. That's not how that's not how this works. That's not how chinchillas work. That's not how chinchillas work. That's not how dogs work. Beth and Kirk are summoned back from their night out at the rovers and refuse to accept that Peanut was responsible. And Kirk has this delightful line that he says as he's cradling Peanut and walking away. He says to of all people, Tyrone and Fizz. You just don't understand what it feels like when somebody accuses your daughter of murder. <laughs> yeah. And 
Tyrone and Fizz look at one another like they know exactly how that feels. Um, that was that was funny. It was also funny when Beth says, right, come on, we're out here. Come on, darling. And you, Kirk. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was also funny. And the only person who had to die was a chinchilla. Yeah. The family takes Scylla to the community garden and bury Scylla <laughs> the chinchilla, where Hope reads a poem about how she loved the chinchilla more than her sister. It was quite a good wee poem. Are they allowed to bury dead pets in the so. community garden? <laughs> I don't think so. It's going to attract rats, isn't it? It A dog is going to unbury it and drag it Peanut through the probably. streets. Everyone heads home while Hope mutters under her breath that Scylla's death will be avenged. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I am delighted by how many of the dogs of the street show up this week, I have to say. Well, a couple. Yeah, but that's more than usual. More than usual, that's true. More than usual. We had Cerberus, we had Peanut, and in a little while we're going to get David. We're going to get David. The new David. The David with a new face. The dog David with a new face. I couldn't tell the difference. It has a longer face than Does the it? old one, yeah. yeah. The other the other one had a more it's round face. Yorkie, right? Yeah. A Yorkshire Terrier. Yeah. This one almost dogs. looks like a Scottish Terrier in the face. Only obviously not black like a Scottish Terrier. Mm-hmm. Aren't Yorkies white? Or am I thinking no, of something else? Yorkies are ginger. Ginger what, and what's, black. What's the white one? The white Terrier. That's a Scotty. That's a wee Scotty. No, the Scottish Terriers are black. I think you can get white Scottish Terriers, can you? That's not what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the one, the white one that's on the dog food. The wee Caesar things? Yeah. Caesar. For what? small, yappy-type dogs. <laughs> what is Caesar? <laughs> used to be called Mr. Dog. But <laughs> it, it changed its name to Caesar for some reason. It was never called Caesar here in America. Maybe was, that's was it. Was it called Mr. Dog? I mean, no, it was never called Mr. Dog in America. Oh. It was always called Caesar. This is a Marathon Snickers thing then. That's interesting. I bet you nobody knows that. Well, or clearly people like, do know that, but I bet like, it's not wild, widely known. Or like Top Cat. It was Boss Cat. Right. Or TK. People in America freaked out. The, the, the thing about Prince Harry's book that made Americans freak out the most was the existence of TK Maxx. Because here in America, it's TJ Maxx. And they're like, why the hell did they change the name of TJ Maxx to TK Maxx in the UK? What's wrong with those people? It should be TJ Maxx. We want justice. (laughs) And I was like, you guys, you guys, wait, calm down. Let me tell you about Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Yep. Can't have Ninja in the title. Can't have Ninja in the title. (laughs) Which means that somebody had to record that theme tune all over again with Hero instead of Ninja. So they didn't just, or did they just blur out Ninja? No, it was... Teenage Mutant Turtles. No, they sang Hero. Teenage Mutant Turtles. And the the logo had Hero written on it. And all the merchandise had Hero on it as well. Which is hilarious because with Top Cat, they didn't change the only. It was only the the movie that was called Ninja. And then everyone was going, why is this one called Ninja when it was Hero? There you go. (laughs) There you go. What were we talking about? Oh, Coronation Street. That's right. So Hope here probably is going to be targeting Peanut for some revenge. Right. And it's going to be hilarious as long as Peanut doesn't die. Yeah. Because if Peanut dies, Hope dies. We are, we're, we are not 
We do not condone the death of dogs on television. Ruby's wee face a shock when Scylla, the chinchilla was found dead. Was and also, moment of the week material. let's all remember that when that stupid chinchilla was bought, it was supposed to be for both girls. And it was supposed to be a fish. And very quickly, nobody remembered that that was Ruby's chinchilla as well. And everybody is so sad for hope about her chinchilla. And it's like, wait, that was supposed to be Ruby's as well. What is wrong with you people? Why do you neglect the good child? Are, are you gonna are you gonna make her make her clean up the cinders as well and <laughs> and forbid her from going to the ball? This is all building up to Ruby absolutely losing her shit in a couple of years' time. Ruby is going to become a wealthy entrepreneur and move away from the street and not send any money home. <laughs> and she'll be right. She will be right. Okay, our penultimate storyline tonight is Double Bacon Cheeseburger. <sighs> On Monday, at the Quad House, Gemma has had an explosion of requests for childcare. Chesney wants to talk about the dream he had last night, which was about cheeseburgers. <sighs> at work... Chesney takes a load of beef off a of dev's hands before it goes on the turn as he wants to practice on it and the mind absolutely boggles about what Chesney means here. What could he get up with some wet flanks of beef? It's going to be an American pie situation, isn't it? But instead of fucking it, oh, he's mind. decided to cook it up into a fancy burger for Gemma. She takes a bite and with her mouth full to the brim with food, she says this is the best burger she's ever had. It turns out that setting up his own craft burger place is his new lifelong ambition. Right. He yeah, wants to call it the Chess Burger. Because he had a dream two days ago. Right. Now he's this been is his working lifelong in fast food for years. His entire life, it feels for like. For years. But now he has a dream about a right. cheeseburger. Now he's going to make a cheeseburger. Right. I would think that fast food would be the last thing he would be interested in. Right. Well, Because no, that is man like, has been stinking of garlic for the past 20 years. This is like a fancy pub burger, though. He's trying to move up. A burger's a burger, let's face it. It is not true. On Wednesday, so Gemma is meeting up with a mum with two kids that wants to get childcare from yesterday. Right. And she wants to know if Gemma's got her insurance, has had her background checks done, and all her inspections, and all right. that malarkey. Gemma says that she's looking into it which doesn't really tick any boxes for the mum who says, let's just leave it for now, eh? Yes. So in the kebab shop, Tim is very impressed with the Chesney burger and Dev is very supportive of Chesney chasing his dream. And Ches is even more enabled when he hears how shite the childcare interview thing went. So he's right. thinking, well, we're not going to be making any money from this. On Thursday at the kebab house, Dev is thrilled when he tastes a new barbecue sauce that Chesney has created. But Not only that, Chesney has lifted money from the wedding fund to copyright Chesney Burger and make a go of his business idea and he hasn't told Gemma about it. And this all seems to be because Tommy O is opening a burger place or something. If you're going to set up a, a business making burgers or really anything... Do you really think the first thing you want to do before before you've set up anything in order to make the money or advertise this thing or create this thing 
The first thing you're going to throw money at is copywriting the Chesburger. He says that he also bought some equipment. Where exactly does he think he's going to set this equipment up? Because <laughs> no he can't set it up at home. Because that requires health inspections and everything as well. Mm-hmm. It, and why is Dev encouraging this? That's the thing that blows my mind about all of this is that Dev's like, so does he think he's going to sell them at his kebab shop? Well, Dev's always got that entrepreneurial spirit behind him and he wants people to be, you know, speculating to accumulate and, and, and chasing their dreams. He's very, right. he's very big on that. But he was also the one who sat Chesney down a couple of weeks ago and says, look, you need to marry this woman. You can't, you, he can't, say that. you can't keep putting this off. And now he's the one who's enabling him to put this off. And also, all this has happened in 24 hours. Right. Why and remember tell this, Gemma? And remember, this is a family that's on the brink of total poverty. Always on the brink. All the time. Because apparently, that's what happens when you have lots of kids. Food or copyright on this cheeseburger idea. And that, nobody's going to buy it. Well, cheeseburger is cheeseburger with just some ease missing. Right. Which I think is the play on words. Oh, sophisticated as it is. Yes. Anyway, Michael is dropping off Glory with Gemma, but she points out that she can't look after the kid because she doesn't have qualifications or insurance. Right. But Michael is so desperate to get rid of the kid that he doesn't care and is happy to pay Gemma as a friend under the table sort of thing on the down low. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's okay for her to take care of one child for a friend, this like a babysitting thing. Because that's not setting up like a daycare, which is what you need all the insurance and stuff for. Well, it's it's all fine until somebody gets Hurt. their eye taken out. Right. Which, to be fair, Michael would still probably be upset about that had Gemma had qualifications and some insurance. Right, yes. Anyway, she runs around to tell Chesney the good news at the kebab shop and he comes clean about stealing money from the wedding fund for his fledgling burger business. Gemma is ha 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 getting furious about this. Rightly so. And tells him to sleep at the kebab house, which he probably does on a frequent basis anyway. Yes. In the pub, Daniel is moaning to Michael about his childcare woes. So Michael puts him on to Gemma. Gemma makes it clear again that that she doesn't have the qualifications or insurance, but Daniel, like Michael, doesn't care so long as the kid is off his hands for a few hours and agrees to the arrangement. And Gemma is cock-a-hoop. Yes. That's as far as we get with that this week. It's a wee shame that we've finally discovered something that Gemma's good at. Right. Well, she's good at BSL as well. Well, and and Uh, she's using the BSL... At, with the child minding as well she's mm-hmm. teaching kids bsl that's delightful that's a usp and it feels like the way that the story is going with now two dads happy to offload their kid without any qualifications or insurance or background checks that apparently she has applied for her certification so mm-hmm. she is trying to do it the right way right but there's like all these other things that would have been much better use of that money it would have been much better use of the money to get the insurance and, and everything for the child minding, which will actually make money, whereas the Chesburger is going nowhere. Well, as Gemma said, they'd made an agreement that they weren't the wedding touch was the going money. to be the most important thing. And once right. that was done, then right. all this could happen. Right. Because Gemma wants her wedding. 
Right. Rightly so. It's been ages. They got engaged when those babies were born, and now they're walking around and talking. <laughs> That's true. I do worry, though, that something's going to go wrong here because it's Gemma, and things right. always go wrong for Gemma. Yeah. And I just kind of like her to have something that's successful. And right, I yeah. Like her, I like her having something that she's good at. Remember remember how happy we were for her with the whole Freshco deal, and then they had to ruin that? Oh, yeah. All right. Our final storyline tonight is some of Max's best friends are black. <laughs> On Monday, Maria is meeting with Alia to talk about funding for the refugee centre thing and to get people engaged and answer people's questions. Alia suggests running a drop-in meeting and offers speed dial as a venue. Maria is still worried about Gary's opinions on this. And then Nina rolls, we called it, Blake, Max's old bully, is a racist after all. And he congratulates Max on speaking his mind and saying things that no one else has the ball to say. He actually says, I didn't realise it was you making those videos. And it's like, he's, he's in, in most of those videos. He's in them, he's in them all. Gary comes in on the phone to Maria, unconvinced about this dropping idea thing. He says there are too many idiots. Like this pair of pricks, he says, and he points to Blake and Max. Blake takes offence, while Max just leaves because it's anything for an easy life. At the Rose Gold flat, Gary and Alia have a chance to chat. She tells him Maria is doing great work and Griffith's behind bars now, so there's not so much for Gary to get his knickers in a bunch about. Well. But Gary is worried that there are far too many Griffiths still out there. True. Number eight, David and Max are chatting about wood chippings. They go on to the subject of alpha males, which David suspects is the reason why Max was hanging out with Griff and the gang. And Max says that compared to him, they were alpha males because he's just a stupid hairdresser. Right. You're not an alpha male because you have a job. <laughs> right. Cutting people's hair. Right. Besides, besides the fact that the concept of the alpha male is based upon false science and false observances of the natural world anyway. Is it? Because most of the alpha males in like wolf packs and stuff are females. What about the gorilla? The gorilla's got an alpha male. The biggest silverback in the group, isn't it? Right, but they don't call those alpha males. I think they do. No, they call it something else. The big silverback gorillas. I call them big silverback gorillas. Yeah, but I think that's but, shorthand for alpha male. But also the or big longhand, really. the, the big silverback gorillas, they kind of just, they're like lions. They kind of just sit around, you know, until well, well. A, until something needs doing, until the lawn needs mowing. <laughs> right. And then they get up and they take care of that and then they sit around some more. So, absolutely like Griff then. <laughs> I feel like we've solved something tonight. The, you know, the females are the ones collecting well the food all. and organizing, you know, the the families together and everything. The alpha males are just there to, like, occasionally tell, like, a capuchin monkey to back off. <laughs> or to shake a fist at a tiger or something, you know? Like lions. I'm the male lion lies around sleeping most of the time while the females are the ones going out and getting the food and taking care of the kids. And David everything. Attenborough, you can stand down. <laughs> Helen's life on earth. It paints a picture. Let's just put it that way. Waving a fist at a lion. <laughs> a t- 
tiger. Oh, excuse me, because that would be ridiculous. I said a tiger. It's the idea that what is? I mean, I think you're you're kind of making this point as well. Right. Like, what exactly does Max mean when? when he thinks that these guys are alpha males and David isn't, when when David rightly points out, I'm the one that's putting food in your belly, putting a roof over your head. Putting and clothes on put, your back. And paying for your the gifts and the laptop and the Wi-Fi right, and, yeah. and everything and providing for you. Right. I mean, if that's what you call an alpha male, it, it's sad that that has to have a name. Right. For a start. Right. But if that's what... If that is something that Max is just ignoring... Because we get little hints of this later on, and, and very explicitly, right? We get um, more evidence of it later on. But what what does Max see when he's looking around about his his room and his house and, and his life and everything to find that the alpha males are these fucking losers, and and he's so hard done by, right? When the only example he's got is that he didn't get a place at the school because he got he got expelled right for upskirting wasn't it no oh, for drugging he got expelled for, for, for drugging amy a date rape drug in amy's drink which he intended for his teacher right let's not forget and also there was the upskirting thing which he was sharing but apparently supposedly wasn't the one who was doing the videotapes and then there was something else before that where he punched his teacher remember when he punched his teacher and then he made that whole video about supposedly daniel and summer sleeping together yeah so there's been a long line of things where he has been the oppressor and yet he sees himself as the oppressed and I always think that this comes down to a lack of examination, a lack of asking why. Yeah. Why is this the way that it is? Right. He said, and we're kind of jumping ahead. Yeah, a little we are bit, kind of jumping ahead. But when he's saying he's losing his school place, he's not asking, well, why did that happen? Right. He's got to a bit that he thinks is the start of the story. Right. And it isn't the start of the no. story. And so many things kind of arise from that lack of. Uh, inquisition as to what really the source of this well, is. Well, that's because he cannot see himself as anything but the victim of this. Nothing can be his fault. Right. And David and Shona have kind of enabled him in this. Um, they continue to do so. Right. Well, not Shona because not Shona. she's in London. Having babies. <laughs> so, he says that David isn't an alpha male because he's a hairdresser and at least... Uh, Griff stands up for, for something what he, that he believes, believes in. in. And it's like, what, you don't think David is not standing up for what he believes in every day when he gets up and he goes to work and yeah. he puts food on your plate? And every time he disagrees with you, Max, he's standing up for what he believes right, in. Right, absolutely. On Wednesday, Darren comes into Neil's rolls with flyers for the drop-in at Speed Dull and he asks if Max would like to join them, but Max reacts very badly, goes on about your lot and storms out. I don't understand why Darian thought that was a good idea. Oh, seriously. That was, he should know better. And it's kind of just slight issues with that character because of things like that. Right. But like he, he doesn't quite understand. Mm. Gary's still fretting about the drop-in thing, but offers to help so he can be Maria's bodyguard. Maria doesn't think it'll be necessary after Alia sat on a bomb and it blew her up. 
David is cleaning Mr. Osborne as a fanny off the barber wall when Maria and Gary wander by. They chat about Max and his fight with Darry, and Gary hopes that Max stays away from the drop-in. And in the pub later, Maria tells David that she wants to help with Max and suggests that he comes along to the drop-in later to hear some different views, and David says he's going to think about it. So Gary's standing like a doorman outside Speed Dial ahead of the drop-in thing. Inside, Kirk and Carla are helping out, setting up with Alia and Maria. Mm-hmm. Darian has handed out all the flyers. The word is on the street, and a very fancy Didi arrives for her presentation that she's going to be giving during this thing. Back at number eight, David is doing a piss in the backyard. Meanwhile, Max is watching a live stream from What's-His-Face, Blake. Yes. Going on about Britain for the British and chemtrails. And he's going to make people sit up and take notice, but he's forced to stop watching when David asks him to stop David from shitting in a bush. <laughs> so Blake walks into speed dial, ingratiates himself with Alia and Yasmin and Maria, and then immediately continues his hate speech from a corner, filming the people at the meeting, calling them cockroaches, saying that he's going to be in the news tomorrow, and then shows off a knife in his pocket. Yeah, and and nobody notices. <laughs> Nobody's like, why is that kid talking to himself in the corner? Why does he keep on saying cockroaches? <laughs> Max finally gets back on his phone and sees Blake's stream and then sees the knife. Oh, shite, he says. Right. And Max runs to speed dial. But bodyguard Gary sees him looking sweaty and all kind of suicide vesty and refuses to let him in. At this, Blake produces a knife, goes for Maria. Darren shouts, shouts, knife! It's, he's got a knife! Alia sees this, throws herself between them and ends up getting stabbed in the stomach for her troubles. Gary and Darian pounce on Blake and get rid of the knife, although Darian's hand gets slit in the, uh, and injured in the process. Yasmin ushers everyone out, including Max, while Dee Dee calls the emergency services, i.e. Craig and Aggie. Sarah finds Max in a fairly catatonic state outside. Meanwhile, Alia is looking in really bad shape, while Maria gets some big band-aids as the sirens approach. We're all going to be okay, says Gary, not ominously at all. And at this point, I'm actually a little bit worried for, for Alia here. Right, and it was so weird... It was so weird because for the longest time during this scene, Alia is on the ground, clutching her side, Mm -hmm. hyperventilating, and nobody's paying attention to her at all. She's all by herself because everybody is is focused on either getting the hell out of there Mm -hmm. or holding down Blake. Yep. And I'm like, does nobody care that this woman is bleeding? Well, on the floor? I think that just says something about the chaos and confusion that was going on there. Yeah, but still. Because when I, you saw everyone pouring out a speed dial, right. like, I don't think I've seen that many people in one scene in Coronation Street in, in the longest long time. time. Yeah, it was kind of hilarious when it cut to the scene of Tim eating the cheeseburger, <laughs> but not like that, and looking outside and saying, hey, what's going on out there? Right. And nobody goes out to investigate. <laughs> nobody does. Just like nobody cares about who died in Fizz and Tyrone's house. Alia is whisked away in an ambulance, as is Darian, while armed coppers take Blake away. And he shouts to Max in his way that Max was his inspiration. Gary thinks Max was involved and tells the police to get him, but Max runs away. David is outside number eight, hearing the commotion, when Max comes round the corner. What the fuck have you done now? He asks.
At the hospital, Yasmin and Maria wait for news on Alia. Dying is going to be okay. Thank goodness. Yes, but his hands are all bandaged up. Yep. Then a doctor comes along to tell Yasmin that Alia has a punctured lung. And Which she's is in why surgery. she was hyperventilating. Now, well, that kind of explains that, right? And this brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Alia was sat on an exploding bomb a couple of weeks ago. This is nothing in comparison. Surely she'll be okay, won't she? Yes, said 40.5%. No, said 8.3%. And don't call me Shirley, said 51.2%. And that was me. Thank you to 51.2% who got the joke. (laughs) But honestly, at this point, I'm thinking back to the conversation that we had when Alia exploded and I was saying what a brave thing would would have been to do would be to kill Alia. Right. For Alia to die in that explosion Mm -hmm. rather than the stupid blowing her out of the van reasonably uninjured. Right. Where she's wandering the streets until Craig finds her. And I thought, well, is this what, is this the reason why she survived that was to die and this right saving maria's life because she was in bad shape and gary yeah. had said we're all going to be okay right and that is the kiss of death yeah i think there there may be a reason for her to survive and that's because some of the other aspects of the storyline where we are finally getting people on the street uncomfortably defending racism mm-hmm. because of family and I, I feel like that would be unconscionable if Alia dies. Right. Yeah. On Thursday, well, it looks like Alia's going to be okay. She comes round to the hospital with Yasmin by her side. Maria is there too, having been there all night, claiming that she should be in that bed instead, which isn't really fair because Maria's just tired and Alia got stabbed. In Nina's roles, Maria and Gary are watching Darian try to cut up his breakfast with both hands and bandages. And like, well, somebody please fucking help this boy. Right, which Maria proceeds to do. Homeless Shoe comes in with a present for Darian. It's a pair of football boots. Yay! And they go off to see Alia while Maria continues to beat herself up, feeling responsible for all this because she was acting Billy Big Bananas. I hated that. I hated the fact that Gary was kind of proved right here. But... In a way, he wasn't because if he had, if he had let Max talk, all of this could have been averted. If he hadn't gotten in Max's face and said, "No, you're not allowed here. You need to back off." If if Max had just shouted, "Watch out! He's got a knife!" Mm-hmm. All of this could have been averted. But he was too busy arguing with Gary without saying why he was there. That's true. Back at the hospital, Alia's trying to reach for a sandwich and ends up knocking over a tray and I suspect Yasmin's sandwich. <laughs> Alia is quick to anger, thinking of what would have happened if Gary and Darian hadn't been there. Then homeless Stu and Darian... Somebody else would have held Blake down. Right. Then homeless Stu and Darian show up. Darian has brought in these football boots for Alia to see and she seems very happy about this. Later... Was... But it... At the beginning of this scene, I'm like... Why on earth has the hospital given this woman with a punctured lung a sandwich, a sandwich <laughs> in a in packaging that she has to open? That's what I thought as well. And I was like, "What? What is going on here?" And then when it fell, I was like, "Oh, that's why." Because <laughs> if it had been an open plate of hot food, she's had the surgery. She's had a punctured lung. Right. She's had the surgery. She's recovered from it. She's kind of delirious, and she's thinking, "Did I survive, or is this hell? Is, is this the afterlife?" Right. Right. 
just nope. have all that. She's reaching for a sandwich and she hasn't the energy to pick up a tray and it mm-hmm. falls over and she can't, she doesn't have the energy to bend over mm-hmm. and pick stuff and she can't bend over anyway. No. And she's still kind of, and she, she's in a very peculiar place. She's very angry uh, mm-hmm. at the situation and angry at what could have happened and she just doesn't feel like herself. Right. But she still gets out of hospital. Yeah, like the very <laughs> next day. And she's not on oxygen, even though she's had a punctured lung. <laughs> And her lungs are not functioning properly right now because one of them's punctured. She's got home after a serious stab wound and a collapsed lung. And when Sarah checks in with her, Yasmin is quick to tell her that she and her family can get to fuck. Alia takes up residence on the couch and is disappointed to see that Yasmin and Homeless Shoe have close speed dial. She furiously tells them to get their arses back to work, otherwise the racists win. Sarah, man... Yeah, read the room. I can I continue to find new ways to hate her. What? What a white lady thing to do. <laughs> to go up to the brown people who have been injured by your nephew when they say no thank you and then get huffy at them. For refusing your help and your consideration. Like, how dare you? How I'm just trying to be nice. How dare you treat me this way when I'm just trying to be nice? You know, and show you that not everybody in my family hates brown people. Mm-hmm. Some of my very best friends are brown people. Right. My husband hired two brown people, including you. I can't be racist. My husband's Scottish. That's what I say all the time. And it's true. <laughs> so the other half of this story then is the Max part of it. So it's early morning again and Max is about to do a flip. He's stalked by Gail and David who reckon that if he's worried about what people think, running away is just going to make it worse. He explains that Blake is and making where is out, he going to go? I know, exactly. Like Max was the one who inspired the stabbing. They bring a newly man-bunned Adam and Sarah around and explain the situation and we find that Max has made hundreds of videos and he describes the contents and the anti-Muslim messages. Adam becomes concerned that this could be incitement to hatred or encouraging terrorism, which carries a 10-year sentence. Right, as it should. Back at Maybe the law, even longer. Back at the law office, Adam has let his guard down as he speaks to Sarah about how much bother Max could be in and how it's all his own fault for making propaganda videos for the far-right thugs. Right. And anyway, Adam's read up on conflict of interest this week and he says that he can't represent Max because Alia works in his office. Sarah (laughs) hasn't read up on conflict of interest this week and insists that Adam helps because Max is her nephew. He points out that Dee Dee can't help either because she's pals with Alia, but he thinks that he might know somebody. And all of this is overheard by Dee Dee, yes. who is in the kitchen being very, very quiet, right. rolling her eyes at the stupidity of white people, <laughs> the caucasity of it all. Oh. Gail and David are home watching the videos, but Gail can't stand to watch anymore. She wants to know where all this hate has come from. Max says that she wouldn't understand, but it started when Darian stole his place at school. Which is not what happened. That isn't what happened. Darian didn't do anything. No, he just came to school. Right. That place was not being held for Max. Nope. It did not have Max's name on it. And even if it had been, the fact that he gave a date rape drug to someone... Intended for his teacher. ...done for uh, upskirting, had assaulted his teacher, and all the other stuff, would maybe give the school fair reason to say, you know what, this isn't your place after all. No. But that isn't what happened. No. 
And nobody calls him on this. Nobody says to him, Max, that's not what happened. What happened is you lost your place because you did all of these horrible things. Mm-hmm. Nobody says that to him. No. Nobody calls him on it. Listen, if your kid is being an asshole, the best thing you could, the most loving thing you can do for your kid is tell them you're being an asshole. Cut it out. David does try to do this, but he tries to do it by shouting at Max. And I don't think he's getting his message across because of that. We saw we saw a better example of this in action a few weeks ago when With Shona Shona. was speaking to Lily. Right. And and they had a proper conversation about right. it. Right. And Max blames David for not listening. Right. Max isn't listening. No. But David isn't going out of his way to be listened to, yeah. I don't think. And he's not saying point blank to him no you lost your place because of these other things right he does not say that to him he just shouts at him for for again again for the propaganda videos he shouts at him for saying things that david feels uncomfortable listening to right that's what he's shouting at. yeah instead of saying to him you're an asshole <laughs> cut the shit there's a police knock at the door and it's ds blondie who's Yay! there to arrest max for incitement Woo! To attempted murder, and it's so good to see Dias Blondie. Blondie, 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 Blondie. Just so good. My favourite cop. Without a doubt, my favourite cop. Absolutely. And as I was putting together that video and I was taking clips off all the scenes that she's been in over the Mm -hmm. past year, it just reminded me of just how good she is (laughs) at at being that cop. Yeah. It's great stuff. At the cop shop, Max's lawyer is asking for the details. Max says his rubbish life is to blame, which is awful because he was born in this country. David says being born in this country is not a superpower. I thought that was a good line. It was. Max says, well, it should be. (laughs) While he's been interviewed, Max says that he's not racist. He just has racist views, but didn't want to hurt anyone. He saved lives in that other terror incident he was involved in the other week. Right, yes. Yeah. I I told them about this bomb that I knew was going to happen, you know, weeks ago when I also got blown up by a bomb. Yep. He's been involved in three terror incidents. Right. One when, because let's, let's call the one where the bomb went off in the car. Yeah. A failed terror attempt. Yes. The one in the, in the Christmas market or the peace market. Right. And then this. Yeah. The common denominator in all these. Is Max. Is Max, right? Yeah. He should be put away forever. DS Blondie calls the language in these videos militaristic and gives them examples. Mac thinks that she thinks that he's stupid scum. He says he's not scum, he's British, and all of this is on Blake. DS Blondie thinks that this is a a rather childish or naive way to look at things. Mm -hmm. Max conveniently forgets all the shitty things that he did to get kicked out of school and blames seeing his mum die when he was nine. Now he's been fending for himself. Right. And then he met Griff, and Griff told him that he wasn't worthless and he didn't feel alone. Right, yes. It's quite well, chilling listening to that. Well, David sits in the shadows saying, what am I, chopped liver? But it was very chilling, just that this is how he sees his truth. And, and it's he so genuinely warped. believes it. Mm-hmm. He has grown up in this loving, warm family with people who have done without to give him a good life, who have sacrificed for him. And he's acting like he grew up on the streets impoverished. It's so ridiculous. 
Back at the law office, Dee Dee's angry when she hears Adam tell Max's lawyer about some of Max's history and demands to know if he approves of Max's actions. Adam obviously disapproves, but says that Max has had a tough life and deserves representation from someone. Tell that to Alia, says Dee Dee. And back in the police station, DS Blondie hasn't been swayed by anything Max has said, and when she comes back, it's to formally charge Max for incitement to attempted murder. And suddenly, Max isn't the cocky wee shite he was, and as he's led away, he begs David for help. But of course, David can do nothing. Right. And that's how we end this week's episode. And also, David should do nothing, mm-hmm. because he has sat there and listened to this brat complain about his life and how he has had nobody to support and love him his whole life since his mom was stabbed. Why is there so much stabbing around the plats? <laughs> so many people in that family have been stabbed or were the stabbers or were around stabbings. It's shocking. British knife culture. Yeah, I suppose. It, you know, you don't have as many guns as we do. So you have to... But the ones we do have float. <laughs> which is handy because it means you can find them in the bath. And I suppose y'all do enjoy a good drowning every once in a while as well. We wish chili con carne with our rice. Etc. Etc. There was lots in this that made for difficult to watch. Mm-hmm scenes i thought they did it pretty well i thought they did the stabbing pretty well yes the, the blood was there was actually blood but obviously it was far too bright but i think that right. was deliberate to make it not seem as horrible as it as right. it was but it but it was actually there mm-hmm. and that was nice because let's remember Stephen bludgeoned a man to death and there was no blood the thing that i was kind of disappointed in was it is a superfluous character who did it again. You know, we've complained that right. it, it's never the main character that's a racist. It's always just some guy that we've never seen before that, that does it. But it's, never, it's never the main guy that's homophobic. It's always just the guy we've never seen before. It's a main character who encouraged this guy right. to do the stabbing. And that's the difference. Yeah. And it's this character's family who are bending over backwards to circle the wagons and protect one of their own to the detriment of the people of color on the street. I don't think they're... I wouldn't say that they were circling the wagons too much. Nobody's... They are circling... Nobody's making out that he's innocent. Sarah is circling the wagons. Sarah is... Sarah... They are saying... David doesn't. Gail is the only one who is saying, yes, these videos are to blame for the stabbing. Yeah, but... David, David is David but David's is, not saying that Max is uh, an innocent party in all this. No, David is upset that he gets arrested for this and is saying that it is ridiculous that he's being arrested, that he did nothing wrong. David is disgusted by the videos, but David is trying to protect Max and saying, no, it's this kid, Blake. It's not Max. David is excusing the videos. I don't think Sarah is excusing think, the videos. Adam is excusing the videos. I don't think David. I don't think David has joined the dots from the videos to the stabbing. I think David is focusing on the stabbing to which he thinks Max is innocent. Right, and he's not. And if he was not David, if he was not Max's father, he would have connected those dots. And he is protecting Max while Ali is sitting there with a collapsed lung. You know, 
He's still not. And, and he was like this with the bombing as well. It's like, wake up. Your son's a terrorist. Yeah, because the last time that he did dob him in and right. call the cops on him, that time Max was innocent. Right. Or something. I can't remember exactly what that was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was that he was innocent of whatever it was. I can't even remember. But they are, that the Platt family is circling the wagons. What Ad, The way Adam is blatantly talking on the phone to Max's lawyer right across from Dee Dee, not even like going into the other room to have this conversation, just right in front of her, like it's not a problem to say, oh yeah, that's really good. Really talk up the dead mom part. That should get him off. As if that's an okay thing to say. Well, that's a defense lawyer position, isn't it? But he's... Because none, none of it's false. Max's dead mother does not excuse his racism. No, it doesn't. But a defense lawyer is there to, to test the limits of the law to get their client off. Right. And that's what everyone's entitled to. But Adam is not his lawyer. And he shouldn't be having that conversation in front of Dee Dee. No, and he does say that. He does say to Dee Dee, you're not, you're not involved in this, and I'm not really involved in this either. Well, then he shouldn't be taking those. Then he should not be taking that yeah, phone call. That's probably true. It is. It is. It is pitting a very specific group against another specific group, and this is actually good because this is the sort of thing that we were complaining about mm -hmm. before. Is that there's there's never an investment of the people of the street the main characters in taking sides here and the white people on the street having to confront some of their own unconscious bias and, and become uncomfortable by it. And it kind of feels like David that there's, it, it does look like there is something inside David that is uncomfortable with all of this, where he's still defending Max but he's uncomfortable with the fact oh, that he's he's hugely un Max. uncomfortable every time Max opens his mouth to say everything that he says basically in the police station. And Gail has obviously had enough, but but Gail's seen the writing on the wall on this a yeah. while ago. And and Adam seems to also be well. He's my nephew, so I have to excuse his racism, sort of thing. But he he does seem uncomfortable with it. Sarah, on the other hand, is not uncomfortable with any of this at all and is fully, fully in Max's court. And it's just so infuriating for me that she is like this. But this is such that character to be the Karen of this family, <laughs> you know, because she's the one who says to Adam, well, you've got to be able to do something. You've got to be able to find somebody to do this. And it's not even her kid. Mm. I don't think David has asked for any of this. No. There's, a, there's an instinct that no matter what, you protect the family. Right. And I think given what she and David have been through with their own right. dices with murder and dead bodies under, right. yes. under patios and annexes and stuff, right. that there's that instinct that's probably fairly near the surface for her right. it's not palatable no in the slightest but no and now there's this extra layer of 
of racism on, on top of it because mm-hmm. those other those other times that was not a pl- that did not play a part. Right. But David has recognised the racism and and accused Max of it. Mm-hmm. it doesn't get him anywhere doing no. it, but but he knows what he's seeing, mm-hmm. and he and he knows that that's not how he's been raised, and that's right. not what David is. Yeah, and I think there's some uncomfortableness there as well because you think you are doing good, you think this is not how you are raising your kids, but there's always going to be another factor outside the house where other people have an influence on your kids that you have no control over. And that, I think, terrifies David as it should terrify all parents and leaves him feeling helpless. No, it's in the movies that you watch and it's the music that you listen to and it's the books that you read and it's... It's the company that you keep. Absolutely. And And it has, as you get older more and more sway and what happens at home has less and less to the extent that that Max doesn't really recognise what everyone else does as being in the description of his home life as something that's completely alien to him. Right. That that no one's ever stood up for him. No one's ever given him a leg up. He's always been the one that's had to fight for himself and on his own. It's like you're describing nothing that has been seen by Anyone, any third party who's looking in on this. And it's got to be a gut punch to David sitting there because he's probably thinking of all of those times that either she, either he or Shona has said, right, nope, that's enough. We need to turn this kid in. This is, this Mm -hmm. this is the final straw. And then the other one talks that one down. And he's got to be thinking, we really should have nipped this in the bud three incidents ago or four incidents ago yeah you know covering up the 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 drug and was a was a mistake at the time and we thought that the the extent of that mistake had been realized and we hadn't even touched the surface right because max does not recognize any of that as them defending him or taking care of him he it has given him the excuse to see all of this as not his fault Mm mm-hmm and not his responsibility. I still think aspects of this have gone in a bit too quickly and it feels like a little bit rushed, but this direction that it's taken, I wonder why I wonder why Alia is just the unluckiest person on the on the street getting blown up and getting stabbed, basically. Well, it was just her turn. The they month. were running out of women to It couldn't be Summer, I guess. She right. was busy. Summer's already done. and also she's not brown. It had to be a brown woman. Yeah. Yasmin's been through enough. Asha's been for, through enough. It was Alia's turn. Mm. Well, she was close to Maria. That that part right. of it does make sense. Yeah. As as much as I have grown to like Maria, though, I don't know if I would have put myself between a knife oh, God, and Maria. No. I would have maybe pushed her aside, but I would have been faster about it than Alia was. Or I would... Have tried to. That was another thing that was interesting was to take that this couldn't be a racist attack because it was meant for Maria. Right. Ignoring the fact that the only reason why this guy wanted to stab Maria is because Maria was trying to set up an immigration center. Again, it's the the acceptance of stop asking why. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And the unconscious bias. All right. That was the week that was Coronation Street then. What was your moment of the week, Helen? Tell me. What was my moment of the week? I don't know what my moment of the week was. What is your moment of the week? Maybe I will agree with you. It's fizzing the blonde wig. 
<laughs> I was thinking it, but I was afraid to say it. Well, it was just so funny. It was so funny when she turns. And I mean, I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I knew as oh. soon as I, I knew as soon as I saw that that wig. blonde wig, we knew it was a wig, which was obviously a wig. Right. I was like, "Oh my god, that's fizz! This is going to be hilarious." Fizz in the wig and Roy, Roy's extreme uncomfortableness, just so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable, and yet Evelyn is just still sitting there asking them questions about mm-hmm. this whole thing. Yeah, yeah was, it was either going to be that or the floating corpse. It was. It's, it's between those two things. But I think there's, there's more to the wig. Or yeah. is it? Or is it the floating teddy? That was funny. That was funny. I did enjoy that. That's, I, I think it's fizz in the wig. Okay, fizz in the wig. Fizz in the wig. Is there a moment of the week? <laughs> yeah, boring moment of the week. Oh, God. Is it Daniel or is it Chesney? It's Chesney's dream about cheeseburgers. Come on. Okay, fine. That is our boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Well, I think that about wraps it up then. Yes. If you've ever had a dream about cheeseburgers, please let us know. Let us know how your franchise efforts went. You can get in touch with us to tell us that at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com on email and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and Mastodon. I haven't updated that Mastodon in the longest time. You can shout me and Helen the coffee by heading to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash thetalkofthestreet and get a free book. Check out the clicky-clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel and if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. Ah, talk of the street. Talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.